Welcome to Office Hours. It's a dead ghost, Michael, Michael Diamond, Michael Unbroken, and just broken over here. Better than broke, though. Uh, I've been there as well. <laughs> we got a great afternoon, and we have a Michael Unbroken. We have a very, very special guest. He's the OG of Office Hours. He is the man who inspired me uh, to do this during COVID. We knew the minute we met that we had something in our destiny together. We just knew it in the first five minutes of meeting each other, uh, as did Michael Unbroken and I as well. Michael Diamond, welcome to Office Hours as our first guest. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm here. I thought I read the notes wrong. I was like, oh, they're missing a guest. And then she's like, you're the guest. I was like, well, I hope both of them are on with me. Like, I just gelled with Mike. Yeah, man. Well, that's why I brought Michael Unbroken in the mix so I can do this once in a while. And uh, we get a third perspective or a second perspective and have you as a guest. But you've written a book, my friend, uh, that's making a huge impact on people. And after having you at SoFi Stadium in my other studio, uh, I picked up on something uh, during a podcast that we did together about a dose of positivity. And where I thought, uh, the book really addressed, you know, recovery and being positive and, you know, a natural type of high that we can get. And it was so much more for everyone. And so I thought, you know, why don't I do the first segment with Michael Unbroken about how this book can impact everyone uh, and what you've learned from recovery uh, is applied to everyday everyone's lives. And so uh, really want to congratulate you on an extraordinary, impactful book, A Dose of Positivity, which is available everywhere. Guys doing book signings. We're going to do some stuff in India as well, I heard. So we're going to have that book uh, everywhere. You'll see that in the corner. Um, but, you know, how is A Dose of Positivity from your perspective in that book? What are you doing to make it applicable to everyone? Well, I think we're all recovering from something, Dave. And I think what really taught me a beautiful lesson was when I went through recovery myself, everyone had this strict like AA 12-step mindset. But if you really look at the context of a 12-step program, it's from the Oxford group, which was a spiritual program, which Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob took. So it's spiritual principles, right? It's not, AA wasn't created by them. They, they took it from somewhere. Everyone comes, everything comes from somewhere. So when I started to dig deeper into myself and looked at dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, I really broke it down to empowering and disempowering choices. And in this human experience as spiritual beings, we're all flawed. That's the point. It's Groundhog Day until we get it right. So the point is we're all trying to recover. And if you look at trauma, it's generational. Everyone has trauma because the dysfunctional family system goes on for generation, generation, generation. So the purpose of the book for wherever you are in life is to make an empowering choice. You, me, Mike, from where you are. So it relates to everyone. I try to meet everyone from where they're at and there's no judgment. There's no prejudice. It's not about gender. It's about a spiritual being having a human experience. How can you live your potential? That's it. And self-actualize from where you're at, not from where I'm at, not from Dave Melser, not from Mike Unbroken, because remember, the calling isn't a conference call. No one's supposed to see it for Dave. No one's supposed to see it for me. No one's supposed to see it for Mike Unbroken. So the tools are simple. 
They strip it down to the raw basics, rituals and routines that are empowered. Empowered. Look, Dave, and you guys know this, you're both incredible beings. We're just taking what was given to us thousands of years ago and repackaging it. This is not new stuff, right? No. It's just, right, sorry, go, yeah. I was going to say, that's why I study, you know, some of the oldest texts, Sanskrit texts, uh, Bhagavad Gita, The Course of Miracles. I do got to add one coincidence that blows me away. So, as you know, my business partner in the sports agency was Lee Steinberg, who is a recovering alcoholic, uh, and admittedly. So, the hardest part was when we had that, he was hiding it from everyone and we had to hide it from everyone and things didn't make sense uh, to our community, right? And so a lot of times that Warren Moon and I would take the hit for weird things in the business to protect uh, Lee. So we, we did a lot of work with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is in Canton, Ohio. My grandparents lived in the tallest building in Akron, Ohio, which is 505 West Market Street. And Lee asked me, we were going to meetings together uh, while we were at the Hall of Fame. And he asked if we could drive to Bill and Bob's house. He said they are the founders of 12-step 12, 12 program in AA. And so we're driving. And I said, oh, they live in Akron. Can I go uh, by, you know, my aunt's house? You know, it's, it's, I think it's close. Anyway, five houses down from my grandparents, 505 West Market, is Bill and Bob's house, maybe a half a mile for where I spent, you know, my formative years. And there was, here's this famous place that never had an idea was there. And here you're talking about Bill and Bob and, uh, you know, what, can you repeat the name of wh where they got the 12 steps from what, what they learned? Yeah. The Oxford group, the, the Oxford, Oxford group. Yeah, they were, they were, it was like a spiritual program that was created and, and Bill sat there and tried to figure out how he could take something that could relate to alcoholics and people sick and suffering and those spiritual principles. But you know, we all know it's, it's all based on spiritual principles. You have to have some kind of guiding spiritual principles, rituals and routines to look, it's hard. Look, someone said to me the other day, I'll have 17 years, April 16th. Right. And they're like, how hard is it? I go, it, what's hard is not, not to stay sober it's the humility it's to stay present it's to not it is to is to do the basics that's what's hard it, it, picking up a drink never think about it again doing cocaine never think about it right it's not even in my i don't think about it but acting like a good person like i said doing doing the right thing isn't easy doing the easy thing isn't necessarily right being a good human showing up for people we all struggle with that anyone that says they don't is a liar I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. If I could get away with it, Dave, I'd do an eight ball of cocaine and do dumb stuff. Of course I would. Anyone that snorts <laughs> cocaine, anyone, look, that's what I said to him. They call performance enhancing drugs for a reason. You don't get them at the 7-Eleven. Of course you're going to jack yourself up the steroids. They work. But you get caught, you're like, oh, because like cocaine is good. get away with it. Yeah. That is so true. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> But I can't. I love it. I Mike, love you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the classic David Meltzer here in the vehicle right now, pulled over on the side of the road. So I hope you guys can hear me here. Um, I, I would love if you can go into the acronym of DOSE again. You said it quickly, and I want to make sure people don't miss it because it is really the foundational cornerstone. 
You know, it's so good. When I did the podcast with Dane, I was like, everyone's looking for a dose. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And I've still got the clip. Dave goes, that's really good. <laughs> and that's how it started. <laughs> because we're all searching for a dose, right? Every human being. Anyone that says they're not searching for a dose is a liar. That's how we're wired. Now, we know the world has too many temptations. So the now, if you look at me as a cocaine addict, ADHD, if you really study my brain and you go to Dr. Raymond and get a brain scan, you'll notice that my dopamine receptors are low, but I have very, very, very high endorphin receptors. I don't need pain medication. That's how I can run 30 half marathons. But... When it comes to the quick fix, the cocaine, the Adderall, from I need that. So when you look at everyone's brain, they're different. So we're all searching for that reward. Oxytocin. Some people need it more than others. Some people need the hug. Some people need the community, right? Serotonin. If you look at the gut, 90% of the serotonin is in the gut. Have a bad diet, it blows out the serotonin. So you have to look at these four brain chemicals. The information coming in, Dave talks about it all the time. We all talk about it. It's not just words. It's the food is frequency. Food is information. What we hear, what we see, what we smell. And then we look at those, those dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, norfin. And then we have to ask ourselves, am I getting empowering dose or a disempowering dose? And by getting that dose, how, what is the ripple effect and the effects of what I'm consuming? You know, Michael, you bring up a really good point, both Michaels, by the way, um, because when you told me about dose the first time and, uh, you know, I started thinking about my core of gratitude and, and giving, receiving and witnessing and, uh, you know, and I understood dose and cortisol. And, you know, as we simplify human beings, like you said, these spiritual beings having a human existence, that it's no more than... And it, to me, totally reinforced my belief in faith. And I'll tell you why. Because at its core, it's a doggy biscuit. You you act good behavior, doggy. Here's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. So you give, here's here's dopamine, oxytocin. You receive, here's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphin. You witness good deeds. Here's dopamine, oxytocin. You go ahead and you know, worry, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, here's some cortisol for you, right? Which is a slap mm -hmm. on your back, right? We're going to inflame you. So no, no better than a dog, right? We have proof that there is an omniscient, all-powerful being that's protecting and promoting us. So when we're good doggies, right? When we're good parcels, here's a doggy biscuit, right? A actual okay. physical biscuit for you. And when you act bad, here's a swat on your back called cortisol that's going to inflame you right because you know why if you're stressed out all day and, and you're in your sympathetic nervous system you're not in rest and digest you're not healing what happens the dopamine receptors drop and what do you crave short burst sugar junk food so what do they do programs the news stresses you out all day right you stay in cortisol so what do you do junk food fast food what is the most when you look around america what do you see chains everywhere right no family restaurants anymore it's not like new york you look at the preservatives in our food why you know america and this was a great study about dopamine and how the, the body works and sugars a guy went to europe 
and was eating uh, bagels and croissants in France every day. Never had an issue. Came back to America. And he's like, I eat one, I'm dying. He took both breads, went back and studied them. There was so many preservatives in the American bread. He's like, bread is the most addictive food in America. Mm. And when he went to Europe, he could eat all the breads in the world because it was simple. Within one day, the bread was done. You leave a loaf of bread out here, two weeks. Yeah. So you think about what it does to the brain chemicals. It sends us crazy because we're always surging and we're always trying to get somewhere. And you know where we have to be on a podcast with you two amazing guys. That's all I need to be today. I love it. Yeah. Michael, last well, question for Mike, and then we'll bring our guest on. Yeah, I love that, Mike. Um, what I'm curious about is what role does positivity play in addiction recovery? Uh, it's, it's the most important thing. And I'll tell you why. Because if you're not positive that you and you don't have faith that you can get through it day by day by day, you will never, ever make it. It's one, it's, look, I said to someone the other day, I've got 17 years. No, I don't. I have one moment right now. We have as much mm. time. That's all we have. I, I'm sober right this second. That's all that matters. And that's what I tell people. Forget about the past. Forget about the future. Stay positive in this moment that you can get through this moment. And guess what? You get 17 years. Yeah. And that's why Beautiful. so many recovery people in recovery are such great entrepreneurs because the same mindset, heart set, and handset to be sober is to be successful as an entrepreneur. And I see it all the time. All right. A dose of positivity to start off office hours at. We got the book behind them, the book to the side. We got the link below. Go to Amazon and get yourself a copy of something that truly will impact and change your life. Why not get a doggy biscuit from Michael, my friend, the incredible Mike Diamond. Thank you for being our first guest. Michael, I'm broken. Thank you as well. Uh, all right. We'll bring our next guest up. Uh, has, hasn't been with us quite as long. Sergey's here, Revzin. He is the founder and president of School 16. He's also the host of the Mentors podcast. Uh, and it's an online adult learning company uh, to help with uh, the much-needed tech careers in America. Sergey, welcome to Office Hours. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me, David. Thanks for coming. You know, it's so interesting because education has changed uh, so much, um, and education has always mirrored what's needed in society, and, you know, there's this big debate about whether they go to college or not, how to be educated or not. But one thing hasn't changed, Sergey, in my opinion, that we need to be educated. Life is about lessons. Talking about, you know, everything existed, Mike Diamond, right? Life's about the lessons. The lessons keep on coming. I have uh, behind me, you know, in Sanskrit, uh, the rules for being human. You will receive a body. You will learn lessons. Those are the first two rules, uh, right? Like, and this is thousands of years ago before that English. Um, but to that end, we have so many options of where to get our lessons. And a lot of times the lessons we're learning are not aligned with the best options, opportunities, and touches of favor that exist for us. Um, and, you know, you, I, I find with the School 16 program, you're really giving people an opportunity to learn the lessons that have the most value today. Look, I love Shakespeare. I, I didn't like calculus, but neither of those have too much uh, value for me today. 
Um, but School 16 provides great value. How can we help people align their skills, their knowledge, and their desire with the right education without, by the way, you know, misaligning their timing and risk tolerance as well, because you do it in an affordable way. Uh, you know, I don't know how kids could be a doctor uh, today if they don't have rich parents. You know, I, I wouldn't want to go that far in debt to as much as I want to help save people. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I'm not going to kill myself. Anyway, Sergey, how do we help people align today in the world of education? I think it's a it's a huge question, especially today when uh, there's unlimited amount of information out there, right? Uh, uh, a, a lot of it is coming at us all the time. Some of it is people pick up great books and they learn that way. Um, but for many of us, there's simply decision paralysis, especially when you're thinking about how do I make myself relevant for roles that are in demand right now for something that's going to help me have a sustainable income, help me grow. If you're ambitious, it's maybe leading to leadership position or starting my own company. What is the step that I take? And then you have to be selective who you listen to. So I think that's one big challenge. And um, traditional education, like I'm a big believer in traditional education, right? I come from a, a former Soviet country. I'm half Ukrainian, half Belarusian. You know, my dad started the school system uh, back in, in the former Soviet Union. And so I had this drilled in me as an immigrant in the United States that you have to get a good education. You have to go to college. But I don't know about you guys, but you know, I learned a lot in college. It made me a well-rounded human. But did it really prepare me for the reality of careers or the business world, so to speak, uh, that probably the listeners of this show are you know, really trying to, to do well in? I can't say that it did, you know, little nuggets of preparation, uh, well-roundedness to be a good human, but not the real world of career. So when you when you know, to answer your question, David, of how do we help people, how do we prepare them? It's making sure they're getting relevant information from people who they see as credible. The reason why we focus on technology careers without learning how to code is we, we want to lower the barriers to entry to lucrative careers of today, which is tech. Uh, we don't think you need to be a coder to get into tech, but we don't think a traditional academic setting is where you're going to learn the best way to succeed. You need to learn from people that are working and running and operating startups. You need to learn from people that are working at Netflix and Spotify and Google as product managers, as salespeople. Because if you think back to the classes that you like, you know, that you probably liked in college or, or in school, it was probably the people that were actually operators and doing stuff, especially for us business-minded people. So that's how we approach education. How do we make it accessible? How do we make it relatable and relevant uh, at a fraction of the time and cost that traditional education currently, as it exists, um, is available for? So your dad um, was the director, correct, of School 16 with you. He came in. How important well, – sorry, go, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say he founded the, the OG uh, Soviet uh, school number 16, like PS 16 in New York. Yeah, yeah. It was school number 16 in Belarus, where I went to first and second grade. So I, I speak Russian. But go ahead, Mike. What was your question? So did he have a big influence? Because, you know, we were talking about before, generation to generation, the system, the system, it's downloaded. It's very hard to break those traditions and people get stuck in the cycles. Like Dave said, unless you got money, why would you become a doctor? But it's like, it's hard. So... How did you make that pivot to to understand there is information coming in, 
but not all this information is valid. It's a lot of repetitive stuff and it's outdated. So how did you make that pivot? Yeah, that's a uh, thanks for asking that question because it uh, it also reminds me of the quote David you recently posted on LinkedIn that uh, the people who love you may not always give you the best advice. It, just because someone <laughs> loves you doesn't mean they'll give you great advice. <laughs> and um, you know, that I my believe kids. That. That's, you know, exactly. Uh, you know, you have your context; they have theirs. But um, I, my parents are very well educated. They're very smart. Um, you know, they they come from a completely different background. They grew up in a communist country. Right, they had to learn the capitalist way of thinking. The the one thing they got right is education is important in terms of my context. Um, but you know, they wanted me to be a computer programmer. They wanted me to be a financial analyst, something that sounded stable, a lawyer, something that sounded really stable, and that you could make money. And you know, they'll know that you're all set. And so our loved ones want us to be safe, right? That's why they give us the advice that they do, based on their own context. But I was lucky enough that, that my dad, he was a very entrepreneurial guy himself. So he was doing things in Belarus uh, in the 80s that like people would never even think of doing because uh, trying they something new wasn't rewarding. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, first of all, yeah, you can't you can't start a business. Yeah, that's true. You'll go to jail or you'll, you'll be killed or whatever it is. Right. But um, you also there's just no incentive for innovation because everybody gets paid the same or, you know, maybe a little bit more based on your tenure. But really, there's no incentive for innovation. And he was innovating because he loved what he did. He was innovating in education. So when my brother and I, my twin brother and I as my, uh, were co-founders, when we told my dad, listen, we're not going to be lawyers. We're probably not going to be computer engineers because uh, our friends are way better at coding than we are. We want to build businesses like you built your education, uh, you know, the, the school that you built. And luckily, he was very supportive. He wanted us to have uh, a foundation. So we got the education, you know, we got the job so that we could fall back on it as a security blanket sort of, or as a, as a cushion. Um, but, uh, uh, but ultimately he was supportive when we want to try something new. And so that's, that's sort of how we were able to have the confidence to make the transition is having at least that moral support. Love that. Sergey, when there are so many avenues and elements of education that are at our accessibility at every moment of every single day from YouTube to podcast to even this incredible show office hours. What is school 16 doing to differentiate themselves in the marketplace and to stand out? Yeah. One of the things that always bothered me the most about my college experience is again, as much as, as much as grateful as I am for it, although, you know, tremendous amount of money. <laughs> um, one of the things that was great uh, that I thought was strange was that, yeah, we take these, you know, these, maybe these general education classes, philosophy, business, religion, uh, accounting, whatever it might be. And then like in a year, okay, choose your major. And we're lucky in the United States. If you're in Brazil or if you're in, you know, in Belarus, right? Like you're choosing your major when you're 17 years old, right? Uh, I'm in Mexico right now. My friends here, they choose that they want to be a dentist at 17, 18 years old, which to me is mind boggling. What do I know when I'm 18 years old? Nothing. So one of the things that we approach differently, even though we're, we're targeting adult learners, right? They're people that are making a career transition. Uh, I want to get into tech. Well, sure. Many of us want to get into tech. We want to work from home. We want to make good money. We want to you know, learn how to become entrepreneurs. But where do you start? doesn't matter if you're 20 or 40. If you don't have the context, you won't know where to start. So what we do at School 16 
is we have an experience where in the first two months, you learn from professionals around about the different roles in tech. You learn from a salesperson about sales. You learn from a product manager about product, marketing about marketing. And you get to try those different roles through projects so that you can then determine what the right path is for you before we have you concentrate on that path, do real projects that are going to be attractive for employers. So that's how I think the future of education is going to be, where we're not spending learning a bunch of stuff that may or may not There's the Mexico internet right there, buddy. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> tell sell at its finest. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say tell sell. They hired me to speak all the time. Down there. Oh my God. Anyway, so good. I wanted to tell them my favorite, uh, my favorite other line that I'll post on. Oh, there he is. Welcome back. I'm back. I'm back. See that? <laughs> yeah. That's why tell sells hiring right now. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they need it. I'm not sure where you lost me, guys, but um, just at the la the last thirty seconds there. So that's right. Yeah, I was just about... just saying. Yeah, just just saying that I think the future of careers are going to be way more targeted and helping people explore the right path for them versus just kind of random information. And hopefully, here you go. Hopefully, you figure it out. And mentorship's a big part of it, as you stated. We before target what we want to learn. We align the skills, knowledge, and the desire by learning from people who are sitting in a situation that we want to be in. And your podcast as well is about this mentorship and mentorship so important to all of us uh, here on, on the show. In that respect, though, um, education is changing. I, I have another great LinkedIn line from my mom, which is, you know, when I wanted to drop out of law school because the economy had sunk, my credit was ruined. I had $100,000 in law loans and I got a job offer in Japan to sell golf clubs for more money than most lawyers were making, you know, my mom said, son, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Um, and I know that's a very Eastern European philosophy to education and, and has been for so many years. Um, but there's also a socialization that I'm uh, interested in because we have to figure out a way to, to socialize the younger people if we're not going to utilize, you know, the, the normal secular education, uh, because I will tell you, like you, I don't use much of uh, my undergrad degree and my law degree. I mostly use to save myself money on my law bills. That's about all I know about the laws. Don't rip me off. Um, but more importantly, I had such a great uh, experience. Uh, and if, you know, timing and risk tolerance wise, which is why I send my kids to college. Right. I, I don't send them because they're going to learn more than they would listening to your podcast, you know, or, or Michael's book, uh, both Michael's. But, you know, there is an essence of like kicking their ass out of uh, your house and having them be in a community and doing their laundry or whatever else there is to do. How do you think we can supplement the socialization side that's going to be, I think, a real challenge because of the accessibility of education and the specificity of it as well? I mean, I think the socialization is so critical, especially when you're at that age, right, 18 to 22 or so, where you're kind of learning how to be an adult. Um, and I think for people for whom traditional education is not accessible, you, you, you know, you, you will have to find ways to supplement that through other in-person experiences, whether it's fellowships, whether it's doing work abroad and volunteering, uh, you know, uh, uh, other, other nonprofit organizations you can join. 
But in terms of what we do at School 16 that I think is, is a critical puzzle of this, which I didn't, uh, I kind of learned by doing in college, it's like learning how to, uh, how to do the process of networking, which mentorship and getting mentors is part of it, right? Like, how do you ask for help? How do you talk about yourself professionally and what you care about also personally that makes you, that makes the person want to help you? Um, these are things that most of us don't learn in any kind of formal setting that you can learn in that four-year experience in college if you're part of clubs, if you're leading organizations, if you're learning through trial by, you know, trying to put on an event and invite David Melter to speak, speak at your college and trying to figure out what do I say in an email to his assistant so he can come, right? Like all that stuff you learn, you know, not necessarily from your classes, but through that college experience. So if you can find either organizations or situations that will teach you how to network, then you are going to have those social skills, I think. So there's ways to supplement it. Yeah, and I, I really believe that we could very quickly create, uh, with technology where it's at in education in technology, if we had a two-year uh, program where you give back, so you graduate high school and you, you know, have different options, you know, for, you know, three to six months of here, old age home, you know, you volunteer in an old age home. Uh, you volunteer in elementary school or, or you give civil service of, you know, cleaning our road, whatever it is, I, I think, you know, and then you have same communal housing for people your age that you're all in these programs. Uh, you know, I, it, it would be something that, that I'd love to develop along with school 16, a, a program that could prove out how we utilize our time and still be able to socialize with young people and, you know, meet and date and do all the fun things and do our own laundry and budget our own money. But I think there's so much being lost right now because we're not giving back. And you see the societies that do, uh, you know, a lot of times it's military, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of societies that are benefit from that two year period of, you know, actually doing something for others. Um, so uh, we'll have you back, uh, Sergey. It's a extraordinary program. I will tell you one thing I, I, I thought of as well. For the first time in, in my life, companies are laying off people and hiring them at the same time. And they're hiring people from school 16 and they're laying off the Harvard kids. So uh, it will go to tell you, you know, lining the skills, the knowledge and the desire uh, wh where we're going. And if we can tie in a little bit of the socialization as well, I think we're all going to be a lot better off because uh, the education quality is so much higher today because the accessibility to it and the technology along with it. So. Uh, thank you. Thank your parents so much for being like my parents. Uh, we'll put up on your wall, Dr. Lawyer or Failure, because I'm sure you heard that every once in a while, but you turned them around. Uh, check out School 16. Sergey Revzin, uh, founder and president of School 16. Check out the Mentors podcast. We all would love to come on that podcast and share our dummy tax with your crew as well. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, David. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thank Bye. you. That's awesome. We're moving in that direction, boys. The double mics are here with me. And now we have Nick Toso, CEO and founder of Rolly App, yep. uh, rollyapp.com. And uh, it's a, a much needed app. Let's just put it this way, because uh, we have a, a problem with, with truth and the news uh, and the credibility and credentials of vetting the truth and <laughs> Uh, we can create silos of reality now, um, far beyond what I ever dreamed of when I was a child. Nick, I'd love for you to explain the yeah. uh, problem 
right. that Rolly app addresses that in mm. not just the problem that exists today, but what it really means uh, for society in the future yeah. if we don't correct this problem. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, that was a great last segment. Education was such a, a key part of my formation. I really enjoyed that. And I think it's a great initiative. Um, you know, I was I've been in newsrooms for, for the majority of, of my career. I was at CNN and I joined CNN at a time where we were moving from broadcast to digital. And we saw when people were starting to get their news online and how that affected uh, the business models of, of all news outlets. And what it essentially meant is that we had less money to do um, to do more because now you had to publish everywhere. Right. Um, so you saw a lot of folks coming on to the shows because it was cheaper to have talking heads than it was to send a crew of 20 people down to do, you know, reporting from the ground. Uh, but when you have those people, uh, sometimes they bring opinions with, with, with them onto the shows. So um, what Roly solves is that, okay, if we, this is the model, if we're going to be reliant on folks because we just don't have the budgets anymore to have expensive productions, let's have them be the most qualified and vetted people. Um, because that's another problem, um, especially at the local level. Journalists, we're losing jobs. I mean, since 2008, we've lost a quarter of our newsroom jobs. Uh, we're losing resources. Uh, so what Roly does is it gives all journalists the tools and resources of a large newsroom and makes it available to journalists all around the country because um, they're still responsible for reporting to their communities. Uh, so we support them with reliable and verifiable information that they could use. It's amazing. So this is going to sound a little strange, Nick. Do you worry, because I was talking to someone the other day about AI and how AI yeah. is taking over so many jobs, right? Mm. With what you're doing in journalism, because there's so much fake stuff, there's so many people that can fabricate things, there's so many people that yeah. have access to social media and Twitter. Wow. Do you worry about AI, like, taking over that space for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing. I saw earlier this week that there's now an AI news presenter, I think, in Dubai. <laughs> Do you see that one? Yeah. Um, I said it. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my wife is an anchor here in L.A., and she posted that. She's like, well, it was a good run, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what i saw that's where it came from mm. i was like this can't be real but they're sorry didn't yeah no i and, and and i think it's all something i think every it's going to touch on every industry right we're still a few years away from uh, ai replacing humans in, in in those ways i think but i think the danger is uh being reliant on a system that is just that a system uh i think what's 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 uh separated journalism is that you know people trust people I don't think you're going to read a news report that says, according to ChatGPT, you know, I don't think that's going to be a very uh, trustworthy uh, way that, that readers are going to gain trust in, in, in that outlet. Right. So people trust people. Uh, that's what we're, we're we're in the business of connecting experts with journalists. And I think that AI can only help uh, in that process. I am concerned that uh, people will be reliant on AI to do things without really understanding the implications of that. And that goes for every industry, uh, but it applies to journalism as well. It's something we're gonna keep, it, keep an eye on. But again, I think there's ways that journalists can leverage AI uh, to make their lives easier. Uh, and hopefully we're exploring those as well. Nick, obviously AI is a big conversation. Mike, that's mm -hmm. a phenomenal question. Yeah. But what I'm curious about is where do you see the future of journalism in the yeah. next three to five years? Because yeah. I would agree with you. I don't I don't see a huge shift coming for a little bit, but those mm -hmm. micro shifts are starting to take place right now. And I think people, especially who are in the media, 
have to be prepared for these shifts. Yeah, yeah. What what I what I like to say is that you know journalism isn't isn't dying; it's changing. And what I mean by that is that it's fragmenting. You're seeing uh, a lot of layoffs at, at all levels of of local and and and, and national and international. Um, those folks are still committed to journalism. They might have lost their job, but they're still committed to reporting to their communities. At the local level, for example, some of these journalists are making minimum wage. I, I don't know if if you all knew that, but they make more money doing other things. They do it for a commitment, uh, uh, because of a commitment to their communities. And they're going to keep doing that. So where I see journalism going in the next three to five years is we're going to have more independent journalists. Uh, we're going to see a rise in, in what we're calling citizen journalism. Uh, and we're going to see a lot more podcasts, a lot more substacks as people try to monetize journalism, uh, but maybe in a more niche targeted way. Uh, so where Roly is in this whole equation is that regardless if you're a team of two or 200, uh, we're going to support you with fact-based uh, information, uh, vetted experts, events in your communities, and other news gathering tools that a team of two can behave as a team of 200. And most importantly, provide that reliable information to the communities because we have this misinformation uh, crisis. And, and, and hopefully if we introduce a, a, another tool for you know having verifiable information, we can stem that. And, you know, I love the conversation about AI and I've been in technology longer than most people have been alive mm -hmm. uh, in technology, uh, knowing Web 1, Web 2, Web 2.5, Web 3, technology is a servant and we still need to be the master of that servant and we can all benefit from it. And then we talk about vetting uh, mm -hmm. factual information. One of the areas that concerns me most is that information can be omitted Mm. or taken out of context uh, and misinterpreted. Mm. And, you know, I, obviously I don't even want to get into the AI side, but mm. one of my greatest concerns when I purposely watch a variety of different news sources to watch how they describe the same facts that are true. I mean, it's, it's one thing when the president says six million of this and you can verify there's only a hundred, mm. right? Like that's a factual lie, right? And, and, and we can catch people in factual lies today. But my bigger concern is take the exact same story and take it out of context or omit certain mm. parts of it. And yeah. it creates an entirely different story, although it's factually true. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. How can we help? I don't know if Rolly App or you know, mm -hmm. you're in this space so much that we're creating these silos of perception yeah. uh, that create a separation instead of, a unity which this company uh, country was founded on? Yeah, it's a really insightful question. I, I'm going to answer it in two ways. I think that uh, we're, I'm going to talk about the, the omission and then maybe, you know, the manipulation of, of that information. So Twitter came out with 120 characters, right? And Twitter is a, a way that a lot of people get their news. There is no way that you're going to be able to summarize a news story in 120 characters. But we were trying to do it on Twitter. And that was omitting a lot of information. It was a clickbaity kind of headline thing so you can get likes and retweets. And that's really when you started to see the truncation of news, you know, if you will, into a short, sweet statement, right? The same thing happens on news reports. Our attention spans are a fraction of what they used to be. Uh, you know, Dave, when you were growing up, you were probably watching shows that were way longer than, than the ones we're watching today, right? So um, it's impossible to pack every single detail into a two-minute report. No one can do it. 
Um, but unfortunately, that's the attention span of the typical news consumer at this point. I think the saving grace of all this are shows like this, podcasts. Uh, we have our podcast, the Rolly Podcast. And what we love about that podcast is that we're able to speak with an expert for 20 or 30 minutes. And we're really able to go behind the headlines and get really deep into that conversation in a way that, you know, you can't really do in a two minute uh, news segment. Um, so that's the, the omission thing. It's a very difficult thing to it's a very difficult task to summarize all the complexities of a news story in the typical news consumers, you know, attention span. Now, you have a, a purposeful omission and that's a whole different bag. And I'm not going to pretend to explain that because it's a case by case scenario. It's enough to say that it is a problem. Uh, it's something that uh, people need to be aware of. So any news consumer watching this right now, don't get your news from one source. It's the best practice to, to read five or six or more sources, even if it's the same story. Um, and that's just, I think it goes for, for many things in life, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're whatever you're doing, um, don't just rely on one source of, of truth. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, I think the best we can do uh, for, for the time being. I think that's great. I have one question. Did the Lakers actually win last night? <laughs> Dave, I was working. I wasn't watching the game. <laughs> tell me, did they win last night? Yeah, they did. They they won okay. the winning game. They're, they're seven okay. seed now in the playoffs, but they almost lost. We love to make sure that was real. That was real news. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Mikey Diamond, uh, we started off with the dose of positivity with your book and uh, sharing with everyone. I thought uh, how apropos for you to finish with a question of positivity uh, yeah. for our expert Nick Toso. Well, this is what I was going to say, and I, I, maybe it's not positive. Someone's <laughs> watching this. They're young. They want to be a journalist. Yeah. You as an expert, where do you guide them? You can start today. Go into a community. Talk to the people in your community. Start a podcast. Start a blog. Start a newsletter. Journalism is a passion. It's not a, a job. You can get paid for it if you do it well. But start today by doing those things, build your portfolio. And if you want to go for, work for a news, newsroom, a large newsroom, it'll be that much easier because you have things to show. Such so great advice. And I want to tell young people as well, it's about building a community um, and the people who want to help each other know people can help each other. And it's never been easier to do that. I laugh sometimes with my kids as we built a big community from all the shows that we do. And they'll say, Dad, oh, that, you know, that video sucked. It only got 40,000 views. Mm. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, that's a whole stadium. Like, that, that, that's a community. Mm. And people lose perception of the power of 1,000 or 100 people. And if you're young, don't quit on it. Because uh, two people turn to four, turn to eight to 16. And eventually you do get two million people uh, of like-minded, like-hearted people sharing and learning from each other and actually uniting together for a collective consciousness for good, for good deeds, for kindness, all the things that I believe the news is supposed to do to help us learn uh, from others' mistakes and others' activities to be better people. And uh, I really, I'm so glad that Rolly's out there. Please, everyone check it out. Uh, it is an amazing thing. I do want to say one thing as well. I'm not, you, you uh, obviously spend long hours in the news um, but you graduated from SC's business school as well, which I spoke I spoke at last night uh, in their entrepreneurship program. And I ha had to make sure I reminded everyone uh, that Tulane uh, University beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, Matt Leinert, if you're listening, you're welcome. 
hilarious. That, that one stung. That's not it's a dose. Of, that's not a dose of positivity, Dave. Right? Come late, on. If you're a Tulane fan, it is. Anyway, Matt Liner told me when I, I told him I went to Tulane Law School, he said, "Where is that?" So I called him when Tulane beat USC, and I said, "You know where Tulane is now, don't you?" That's right. We're in the winner's circle, and so is our friend Nick Doso. Come back and join us again. We, once again, would love to help out with your podcast and make sure more people see it, amplify it, and uh, you got some great guests here as well to put on there. Nick Toso, CEO and founder of the Rolly App. Check it out, rollyapp.com. You're doing a great job and great work. Come join us again. Would love to. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you got it. Take care. All right, boys. It's uh, Mike Diamond Day, so Mike Diamond... What's your takeaway for the day? You know what mine is about? Um, always be a student and always be educating yourself. Education never stops. I love it. Mikey, I'm broken. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing is understanding that because it was done that way in the past doesn't mean that that is the way that it has to be done in the future. I'm broken. I'm out of these 12 rules and I'm going to pick out uh, number five, learning lessons does not end. That's why we're here, ladies and gentlemen, and all three of our guests, Mikey D, Nick Toso, and of course, Sergey Rebzin, they are continually helping us all continue to learn. It's our journey. Life's about lessons and we keep on learning them. Uh, pain will indicate you have a lesson to learn. So everyone out there, be more interested than interesting. Learn those lessons, improve yourself, do your best, learn lessons, have fun. Mike Diamond, I always learn from you. Mike, I'm broken, always learn from you. Thank you for joining me every Wednesday. Get a Dose of Positivity. It's an incredible book on Amazon. Check him out. Congratulations, Mike. I will see you guys soon. Bye, guys. Bye, Mikey. See you, Dave. See you, Mike. Say bye to Bumblebee for me. All righty. Everyone, it's a great day here in our neighborhood. Your frequency is your neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my frequency neighbor? Be happy. David at dmelzer.com. Please join us every single day. And most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later.